You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How To Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Kate, thanks for joining me for this very special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Great to be back, Owen. And today we have special guests, Alec and Bryce from Equimates. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Keen to, uh, keen to chat. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. Now, this is our first episode that we've ever done remotely, so we've got uh, a few of us in different offices and even in a different state. So, um, where where are we all coming from today? Yeah, first time for everything. Um, oh, and I'm up in Sydney um, recording remotely, just like uh, Alec and I usually would. But um, as you said, I think this is the first time we've all been uh, on a call with four different people, four different places. So, yeah, uh, up in Sydney at the moment. Wonderful. Um, I'm sure we can get into the which footy team, which code is better <laughs> another time and we'll save everyone the hassle. Well, it's Essendon, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's if you follow AFL, of course. But we all know the Hawks are the best. Um, okay, so we, we, we thought we'd come together today and have a chat about our journeys to finance and investing and just share the stories perhaps behind our, our podcast series as well and, and why we decided to do what we're doing. Mm. So, Kate, is there any particular rhyme or reason, um, anyone that you would like to start with or, or to share their own story first? Oh, I don't know. There's two great guys. Uh, Bryce? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, would we, what would you like to know? Okay. So, where did your journey with money begin and how did you start getting interested in finance? So, way back in kindergarten i think it was i remember that uh the dollar mites was a was a thing you know those 
Commonwealth Bank uh, savings books that you could slide a 50-cent coin or $2 coin in and fill out the tab and send it off to the bank. And uh, mum and dad encouraged me to sort of split my money into sort of three pots, saving, spending, and and uh, I can't remember what the other one was, fish food or something. I think I had a fish at the time and needed to, <laughs> needed to save for fish food. Um, and yeah, so there, I think that was the very start of um, getting introduced to the importance of, I guess, saving and then um, keeping control of spending. I mean, I was very young, very young. They were giving me, a, I think, a dollar fifty and split it three ways, and and that really built up over um, a few years. And by the time I hit, I think, year six, it was or year seven, the fifty cents had turned into five hundred bucks in the bank, and that was the point where Dad was like, "I think this is a, a good chance to introduce you to the stock market." and um, took the $500 and invested it into a listed investment company, Brickworks Investment. Uh, I think it floated at the time. And so we jumped in on that. And, you know, the old school way of, um, of doing a, a, a trade was ring up your broker and he filled out a few paper forms and, and did that sort of thing. Um, and then it sort of really progressed from there. My interest in the stock market, uh, progress from there checking the stocks in the paper and um and here we are so i guess yeah that was my sort of very first introduction to stocks way back then wow your parents got you started really young yeah i i think it was always their um intention to introduce both me and my sister to that sort of stuff you know they knew the importance of consistently saving and and investing over a long period of time and um you know there's no sort of real age barrier to to that's sort of learning um so from their point of view it was the sooner the better i guess and uh, certainly thank them for it that's for sure mm, i'm in the process of trying to trying to instill some wisdom into my younger sister at the moment because she's uh, about to graduate school and uh, trying to teach her about investments and things uh, i realize how important it is to learn at such a young mm. age i mean by all means i certainly haven't nailed the the whole personal finance side of things there's still a lot lot to learn but um yeah i think if anything the earlier you start the better the better off you are and what about you alec how did you get started in learning about money? so if bryce is the model of how you should learn to invest you know, <laughs> learn to save really young get into the market in your early teens and really <laughs> gradually grow your wealth from there i guess i'm the complete opposite um my <laughs> My folks were the, the classic Australian family. All your wealth is tied up in property. That's sort of how you build your nest egg. And that, that's really how I grew up. You, you saved your money and then at some point you invested in property. And I guess I, I got really interested in the share market probably uh, sort of halfway through uni. And I was living with Bryce and he was investing in the market and it was something that I knew nothing about and I wanted to learn. And my first two investments were just the complete opposites. They, they were really the best and the worst of the share market. My first investment was Slater and Gordon, which I lost 99%, over 99% of my money. Actually, it, it is so low now that I can't even cover the brokerage to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then my second investment was A2 Milk back when it was, you know, a tiny little company. And it, it is, you know, going from strength to strength on the back of China. Uh, and from that, I sort of realized the power of the stock market, that 
even if you're a terrible investor who knows absolutely nothing at all and manages to lose almost 100% of your money on your, on your first stock, the ability to earn more than 100% by getting lucky, hopefully by learning and uh, doing a bit better as you go, uh, is so much. It's the, you know, the greatest wealth creator in history, the stock market. It's not, nothing's generated more wealth for more people. And as I started to realize that, I sort of realized that I'd be dumb not to be in investing. And I guess from there, that's where our sort of equity mates journey started. We wanted to learn. We wanted to speak to some interesting people and doing it publicly through a podcast sort of would hold us accountable and hopefully open some doors to interview some interesting people as well. So I, I started late. I still am learning a lot, still making a lot of mistakes, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an opportunity not to be missed. The stock market, I think, mm, absolutely, and nothing holds you more accountable than uh, putting what you say <laughs> and learn <laughs> online. <laughs> Everyone's uh, very happy to pick up every single thing you say that might not be quite correct, which is a good means, learning yes. tool as well. Yeah, I I, I can uh, appreciate your. Your thoughts and and the uh, the loss with Slater and Gordon, mate. I uh, I fell prey to that one, and I think Kate and I have talked about this on a podcast before. But uh, it was the same lesson for me. In fact, that you can lose a hundred percent. Although I didn't quite lose that much on Slater and Gordon, but you can lose a hundred percent. But you can make a hell of a lot more if you um, if you get, as Peter Lynch would say, the old six out of ten right. You don't have to get them all right to make money from the share market. So I think there's some pretty good stories there, guys, and uh, some some great lessons. So since you've started the Equity Mates journey, uh, how have you found the, you know, how have you found the journey, I guess, in, in, as a bigger picture, but also just meeting people? Can you, can you recall some interesting guests and things, that, stories that have stood out to you over time? Well, I mean, no, no bigger two people to meet than the two of you. <laughs> so this is, really, this is really what the journey's been about, getting uh, onto this podcast. So I think we can probably hang up the microphone now. We've, um, we've made it. <laughs> I think oh, you're way too <laughs> I think for me uh we we started didn't really know anyone in the industry and we're just sort of cold calling cold emailing people and in our first year we uh we got to speak to Alan Kohler who a lot of people will know from the ABC news and I, I grew up watching Alan Kohler talk finance and so for me that was like the biggest fish in Australian finance you could you could get and so that was a pretty exciting interview for us. Um, and then from there, just some of the, the people that we didn't really know, the, the sort of the investors that we reached out to on a whim and through interviewing them, we found them fascinating to learn from. I think that that's really been the valuable thing, the, the people that you wouldn't otherwise come across. Yeah, we um, used the podcast in, initially in part as a, an excuse to just go and talk to some people in the industry that really, really wanted to get some lessons and a bit more of an understanding about markets and that sort of stuff. So it was a great excuse for us to knock on their door and say, hey, we've got a podcast you want to be on. Little did they know at the time we had 47 listeners or whatever it was. So <laughs> it wasn't great. But yeah, I think for me as well, um, you know, Alan Kohler was a highlight, but, you know, we, we've, we're lucky enough to get uh, Wayne Swan um, and we've um, had um, you know Graham Cook and the founder of um, Beta Shares, Elon, and so it's been a really good um, journey for us to expose, I guess, these people to our audience as well as we um, learn with them. But 
Um, I think we've never ever uh, not put up an interview other than one, and I won't mention who it was, but the reason we didn't was because at some point in the interview they said that um, they go on bike rides to try and understand the cyclical nature of stocks, and we couldn't write quite work out why that was the case relating it to bike rides. So we were like, I don't think, yeah, we're like, uh, all right, we don't think we'll bring that one up. But otherwise, yeah, it's been it's been awesome. Really enjoyed the the journey of of the podcast, and um, as I said, exposing our listeners to what we're learning um, as we go. Mm, definitely a similar experience. It gives you an opportunity to knock on people's doors that you wouldn't normally get to speak to people like Alan Kohler for an hour of uh, their time because they're very busy people. But having a podcast mm-hmm. does uh, does create doors for you. And Alan Kohler has his own podcast and we're waiting for the return <laughs> invitations. So, Alan, if you're listening, um, get us on. <laughs> I'm not sure if James Kirby would be too happy about getting kicked off. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Right in the target audience. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I, I really like the uh, the approach that you guys take because it's kind of like fly on the wall. Like as you guys said, you're you just want to go out and meet fascinating people anyway, and investors, and talk stocks and all the rest of it. And really, the podcast is just a great forum, as Kate said, to open doors. Um, so I suppose for you guys on your journey so far. What have been some of the lessons that you've learned from other people? And you might even have some recent ones because I do an investing series as well. And uh, I can recall some of the experiences that I've had recently. And almost every guest that I have on the show teaches me something new. So I'm, I'm interested to know through all of these episodes that you guys have done, has it been any one lesson in particular that anyone's taught you? Reg, you want to you kick it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So... The the biggest lesson for me is just the unbelievable and overwhelming power of compounding. That start getting in early and staying investing for the long term just is the best wealth creator that any one person can access in their lives. And I guess you sort of you you understand that maybe you you know you did some maths at school, you understand compound interest. But until you start reading the investment books and speaking to the investors and just seeing the effect that investing for the long term can have on your your overall wealth and your overall portfolio, it's just really profound. And so I think that the lesson that we hear over and over again from people that we speak to is that they wish they'd uh, started investing earlier. They wish they'd never sold things uh, and they wish they'd put more money into the market earlier. So... For me, that that's just a, a lesson that you know. There's no there's no time like the present to get started. Yeah, I I would echo that. I think from everyone that we've spoken to, there's just an underlying current of you know, very simplistically, like consistency is key. Um, I think the importance of having a strategy. It doesn't need to be a complicated strategy. It doesn't need to be one that you put hours and hours into. Although it can be if you want, but you know, the, just the importance of, I guess, having some discipline behind what you're doing and not just cherry picking and, and, and almost, you know, doing that gambling type approach, I guess. Um, and then I guess for the, for the beginner investor, um, you know, some of the biggest lessons that we've learned, as, as Alex said, is, um, just start as early as, as you can, um, and just create a bit of a diversified portfolio and stick with it. Um, it's, it's surprising how, you know, we've had a diverse, 
range of guests on the show, um, some, you know, in small caps and um, marijuana specialists and, um, you know, all sorts of people. And, and it's interesting how they all do, at the end of the day, echo very similar um, sorts of ideas when it comes to the, the basics of investing. I guess, I guess the, the, the other one is uh, we hate fees as a podcast. That's our official <laughs> stance. We also hate jargon. We're an official no jargon <laughs> podcast. But uh, I, think, I think the thing that a lot of beginner investors make the mistake of or they don't think about enough is controlling your costs and controlling the fees that uh, you pay both in terms of brokerage but then in terms of you know, annual fees to ETFs or uh, managed funds. That that just has such a profound effect over the long term, and um, you know, it's in some ways it's minimizing your costs is just as important as picking the right funds and picking the right stocks, and that's something that everyone can control regardless of how much experience they have. So, you know, if you're a beginner investor and you you feel overwhelmed by it all, start with what you can control and what you can understand, and that's minimizing the the unnecessary cost in your investment portfolio. I think that's great advice. I, I think I heard on one of your podcast episodes recently, you talked about uh, fees as a broad rule, rule of thumb, if you like, the, the 1% rule, so keeping fees below 1%. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Great. Can you guys just explain that a little bit for our listeners who may be unaware when that they should be looking for that? Well, I mean, when Alec and I started investing, I think we both, you were using Comsec. And, um, you know, the trade brokerage at the time, I think it was almost 20 bucks, 1995 or whatever it was. And so if you're, if you're investing, um, 500 bucks, uh, you know, that, that 20, $20 is a significant, well, not a significant portion, but it's actually a, a quite, um, a relative fee to pay, um, when it comes to, when it comes to brokerage, you know, you know, you need your stock price to move. Um, just to cover that fee. So we then figured out, well, you know, as a beginner investor, you're not likely to be putting in 10,000, 15,000. Um, so you want to be keeping that, that fee as low as possible. And it's not until we came across, you know, the online brokers that we've realized that, Hey, um, you can be reducing your fees, um, at, you know, below that 1% because as, as, we, as I said, you need your stock to move 1% or more just to break even. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on on that? Uh, no, I think it's I think it's a good rule. I don't think we've ever explicitly said on uh, our podcast series we don't, I guess, have a have a, a house view on this. But um, for me, it, it just makes sense. And some of the things that I tell our listeners and readers is that it probably makes sense to buy it shares in at least one thousand mm. dollar multiples. Uh, so two thousand might be ideal. But uh, the rate, the way that brokerage is going now, we are seeing some of those costs come down. But uh, if we look further afield beyond just individual shares in a brokerage account, I think there's you know some valid reasons to to stick by um, that one percent rule again, which is in super. You could you could get away with very low cost super funds these days, and if you're talking about investing for forty or fifty years, uh, that one percent does have a noticeable impact. And and I've seen some super accounts where they're still paying 2% in fees, which is just crazy in this day and age. And so I think your 1% rule is not only valid in, when it comes to stock brokerage, but also more broadly into things like super and managed funds. Uh, we don't have, fortunately, we don't have too many ETFs that are above 1%, although there are some out there. But 
I mean, you'd re- seriously have to justify why it's worth the money. But I think that's a great rule, guys. And yeah, it's just it's just a you know pro consumer, pro investor uh, mentality to have. So I really like it. Having that control and understanding of your investments. Yeah, why not? Also, probably stops you getting sold into some glamorous looking product like some of those wrap products out there and manage funds and like property seminar kind of things they can have pretty high fees and so i guess having a rule of thumb to look out for can just help you avoid the dodgy products or the high fee products 100 percent. and i think you know what you said there kate it is just a rule of thumb it's not hard and fast we don't you know run for the hills if something's you know 1.5 percent of our investment but, you know, you got to make sure if you're going to pay more than that, it, it's worth it. And I think with the way that the investing market's going now, how accessible it is and how low cost a lot of these products are, you, you know, you, it's gone to the days where you pay 2 and 20 to a fund manager to manage your money. Um, 1% as a rule of thumb, you can get a lot of good quality products for that or for less than that. Absolutely. And I, I think what I'm enjoying most about learning about finance these last few years since I've been interested in it as in the last sort of five, 10 years, there's been so many new companies popping up mostly overseas, but we're starting to see it in Australia that are really helping people start investing from a really low amount and different personal finance tools for budgeting and things like that. So I think that's probably made my journey into finance easier and more enjoyable than it would have been 10, 15 years ago. I have a question for you guys, if you don't mind. Um, something that we get asked on the show a bit is to do with super and, and that's what um, triggered the question on when you started talking about that. And uh, we get asked is, um, in, is investing in super um, an adequate form of investing in the share market um, at, this, at this time, you know, as a millennial? Um, that's A and B. Should, should people be putting more in or how, how would, um, should people be approaching it from a, um, a beginner point of view. I don't know if you guys have views on that. Sure. I have a few. Um, well, personally, I want to be able to retire way before I hit 65, which I believe is my retirement age, according to the government. Um, so I'm definitely investing heavily outside of super um, because, I mean, if you can't touch it till 65, then that really restricts that you're going to have to keep working until then. Um, so I'm I'm definitely big on investing outside of super, and it also gives you a lot more flexibility at a, in your twenties. If you can't touch it till sixty five, well, you've got a lot less flexibility from time to time. To when I was on a lower income, to take advantage of various government schemes um, that they had on offer. To if you they're going to give you a free five hundred into your super if you add some money. Well, you, I took advantage of that. Um, but at the moment, I'm generally not contributing too much extra. Um, that might be something I focus on down the track, but definitely investing outside of super because I'm, I'm also not planning to buy any property anytime soon. So mostly focused on Australian equities and saving up uh, for an overseas adventure. Nice. Mm. You have to share some of those details on where you're going, Kate, in time. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to answer that question. Obviously, everyone's situation is different, so what you – what I say now is not uh, personal advice, but I think super is a great vehicle for creating wealth. And I think the simple answer, the simple reason why is generally the, the government looks favorably upon people that 
put money aside in their super fund and that's taxed at a lower rate. You can go on the ATO website and you can check out all the latest rates for different uh, types of super funds or products and you can check with the super fund. But um, I, I, I would say, and I, and I agree with Kate here, is that if you are, say, 20 or 25, 30, 35, maybe even 40 or 45, something that you have to be really mindful of is how quickly things can change. So super, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe came in, in the early 90s for most people. And um, what we've what we've seen since then is progressively over time, it's become less, um, I guess, it's become more regulated to the extent that it's become less appealing for people who see it as a long-term wealth vehicle. So if you're looking at shares and you're thinking I'm going to retire in 10 years and I'm going to put 10 grand away every month for the next 10 years and to see how much I can get and then I'm going to do something with it super is not your alternative because you like Kate says it has to be put aside for a very long period of time and to give you an example of the changes that can happen and how quickly things can change between the 2017 and 2018 financial years I believe there was 13 changes that went through on July 1st, so the difference of one day from June 30th to July 1st, there were 13 changes to super rules that affected most Australians. Now, those were just the rules that went through. There were an additional five or 10 that passed a few months later that uh, came into effect and then changed the rules again. So effectively, the government had moved the goalposts. And ultimately, what I think, and this is, once again, just my general opinion on it all, is that super is a a great way to set aside some money for the long term. If you're an employee, it's automatically going to be put aside by your employer. Make sure you check that by going to the, the super fund that uh, that you're allocating to. Um, so it's automatically going to be put aside by the employer. But what I do is I add extra to my super fund to cover my insurance. So I hold my insurance through super uh, and I've got three different types of um, insurance in there. But in terms of just the, the investing implications, I would say, um, it's probably easier just to open a brokerage account and go from there. And uh, to, your, to your point earlier on about compounding, if you don't sell the shares that you own in your brokerage account, it's going to be less onerous from a tax perspective anyhow. I mean, you're not going to be paying excessive amounts of tax unless you're trading frequently. So long, sto- long story short, mate, I think it's super great and it's, it's good to be putting money aside, um, which is going to be happening anyway, whether you like it or not, if you're a full-time or part-time employee. But there are plenty of options outside of super. Yeah, nice. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I um, as Kate, as Kate said before the show, before we hit record, I I, I can just go on a rant about uh, insurance <laughs> or who knows what. <laughs> well, there'll be no more super questions from me. That's for sure. <laughs> so I I I know we're kind of turning the interview on you guys, but I actually have another question. <laughs> So, Kate, you mentioned that you're, you know, you're looking to retire well before 65, and I think that's that's a dream that I have. I, I think it's a dream that a lot of people have, um, and there's a whole movement that's sprung up around it, that uh, financial independence retire early movement. Is, is there anything in particular you're doing uh, from an investing perspective and then more generally from a personal finance perspective to set yourself up for that early retirement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, I am quite keen on the FIRE movement, um, uh, definitely on the financial independence part more because I think it, like the world open up, opens up to you when you're financially independent. You have so many more options. You aren't constrained to stay at one particular job because of the money or anything like that. You 
you're pretty much buying your time back. So I'm probably focusing on in investing quite aggressively at the moment in terms of like high risk investments and Australian international equities. So that's probably my focus uh, long term. So I'm not planning to have to sell any of this stuff for 20 years. Um, and then short term investments, I keep in cash, uh, short term, sorry, goals, keep in cash because uh, I shouldn't be investing in equities uh, if you're just looking for a short time frame. But that's definitely I'm definitely focusing on sort of investing in ETFs for the longer term um, just while I learn because I personally don't feel up to investing in individual shares at the moment. So I guess I've just sort of put a plan into what it would look like and I sort of mapped out if my salary doesn't change, how much do I need to put aside every year to reach a goal maybe in 20 or 30 years where I am financially independent and hopefully along the track my salary does increase and I can increase the amount I save and invest and I mean life changes everyone I think when I talk about financial independence to people they go oh well that doesn't factor in kids or wanting to buy a house or getting married and I mean you can't factor in <laughs> life most of these things you just sort of got to take them as they come but if you start early um, investing and sorting out your future well it makes everything down the track a lot easier I think. Yeah 100%. We, we recently interviewed uh, Chris Raining, is his name. He, he retired at 37. And some of the feedback that we got from that episode was similar to what you were just saying there. He, um, he didn't have uh, any kids and people were like, well, you know, it, it becomes a lot easier to uh, retire early if you're not paying for kids. So we took that feedback on board. But I still, I still think what he did you know, he was militant in his saving. He knew everything he was spending all through his working life and just squeezed every penny, invested it all. Um, one other thing that I want to know, and maybe Owen, from a you know financial planning perspective, you can uh, share some insight as well. Um, do you have a number that you think you have to achieve to be financially independent or is there a sort of range that you want to hit or is it just save as much now as invest as much now and we'll reassess further down the line? I think that's a good question. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any number in particular, to be honest. If you, if you, so there's, there's a rule that you, know, you can have multiples of your salary, say 10 or 20 times your ending salary uh, put aside for your retirement. But to be honest, everyone's different. It depends on your expectations. So let's say um, if you want the, the, the ASFA, so the superannuation whatever it is, I don't know what it stands for. But if you go by their number, a couple needs about $61,000 a year to live a comfortable, quote-unquote, comfortable uh, retirement. And so if you back out the numbers and then you think that, you know, interest rates are pretty low at the moment, if you're at that stage of your life, you're going to want, um, you know, so you're going to want a fair amount of money because you're going to have to have um, some of your money in risky assets like shares, but not too much because, you're depending on that money. So one thing that we say is you don't put too much of your money in shares because it is volatile, it's risky, etc. So if you back out those numbers and you assume a return, let's say you assume a return of 5% a year, if you have a million dollars, that gives you 50 grand a year. And so you would need to have a little bit more than that and that's assuming you're achieving a 5% return if you want to, if you don't want to eat into your principal, so the, the amount that you start with. But of course, if you went and saw a financial planner, um, they'd probably run some fancy calculations and you know, 
put some wonderful assumptions in and then have about 50,000 disclaimers at the back of the report. But the honest answer is just save as much as you can. And to your points earlier on about compound interest, it, um, it'll creep up on you before you know it, that, that, that passive income that you generate will be here before you know it. And what you'll find is that perhaps when you get to that amount of money that does make you feel comfortable, that, you know, you feel like you can go to your boss and say, go stick it and just walk away. <laughs> when you get to that, when you get to that point, chances are you might not want to do that in any case because you'll be content with your lifestyle and the way you're living anyway. So I, I would say for most listeners of this podcast, at least, and perhaps of yours, is just save as much as you can. But also it's important to not live I believe, like a miser. So don't live to the point that you deny yourself of the experiences because what you'll find in life is that the things that you cherish are the experiences, the things that um, you might take for granted when you're younger are just things like being around your family and friends. And so you don't want to be the guy or girl that, you know, sitting at home on a Saturday night just because you don't want to spend 50 bucks to go to the movies with your friends. Um, and I think, you know, if you think about the, the regret minimization framework, you should do everything such that you're just going to minimize your regret in five or 10 years from now. But at the same time, you need that balance and you can't just go out and live the Instagram lifestyle 24 <laughs> seven. I hope that answers your question in a roundabout way, but that's just my general thoughts. Mm. No, that was, that was... What about you? Financially independent? Is that the goal? Alec, I think it's your goal, yeah, isn't it? I'll, I'll answer it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think my goal is to not have money be a motivator for my life choices. Like, if I want to work in a job where I get paid less, or I want to take some time off with my family and go travelling, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is, I don't want to feel like I'm anchored to a particular job with a particular salary because because I need it. And I think that's what investing early really means for me. It, it is, it's that financial independence. It's, you know, just having options really. Um, I have a question for you. As, Sorry, Ren, keep going. No, I was just going to say, it's not about, you know, sitting on a beach, having a beer uh, when I'm 40. I mean, that would be nice, but I think I get, I think I get bored of it pretty quickly, but it's just about, you know, having choices really. Well, Kate talk, talks of mapping out, you know, what it would look like in 20 years' time, I'm interested to know if, Alec, you have done some sort of uh, exercise like that. I know you're pretty diligent with putting money away each pay and then investing as you see fit, but do you have any number in mind or have you mapped anything out? No, I don't have a number, but that's why I asked the question because I always wonder if I should have a number. And, you you know, you can do some some simple maths. You know, you say... If you have a million bucks and you're earning 5% interest on it, you get 50K a year, maybe maybe 50 grand a year is enough to um, you know, give yourself some optionality. Uh, but I, I don't really, no, I, I haven't really thought about what my number would be. And I think, you know, to what Kate was saying before, you, you have a family, you have kids, all of a sudden your number has to you know, double or triple and depending on where you live, you know, if you live in Sydney, your number might be much higher than if you lived in Hobart. So at this stage, I don't have a number. I just want to put myself in a position to uh, make it as big as possible down the line, I guess. I mean, I guess in your 20s, it's the number's not as important as the sort of the steps to get there. And I guess it's just actually making the decision to get started and put some money aside 
every paycheck and it's sort of making those conscious decisions of where you're reallocating your money instead of spending it all on xyz thing you're saying well i'm putting some aside and sort of buying my future and buying my future time and freedom i guess that's sort of my mentality around it yeah 100% so from a financial you know planning perspective what are some of those what are some of those good habits and um good tips in terms of you know making sure we're putting money away making sure we're not um you know blowing it i guess um and just getting some real discipline in our saving and investing lives uh kate and i talked to talked a bit about this in some of our earlier episodes and uh some of the one of the obvious things that stands out is that you've got to pay yourself first so most people treat you know they get their, they get their payday they've got all this cash and then they think okay i've got to pay the mortgage i've got to pay uh, for my car loan i've got to do this i've got to do that but at the end of the day and Charlie Munger, who's a famous investor alongside Warren Buffett, had this idea that you've got to pay yourself. And what he meant by that was the most important customer or the most important client that you see in any day is yourself. And that comes back to your, your, your savings habits as well. And the easiest way I, I can um, break this down for people, break this down for listeners, is just the, the jar analogy. And you've probably heard of this before. It's If you have your jar in front of you and you can only fit so much in it, you put the big things in first, the things that are important to you. And so if your financial future is the thing that's important to you, when you get your payday, put your savings goals in first and then let everything else fall in around that because they're not they're, they're less important to you. So I say to people, if you can save, you know, you map out your budget, you see what you're spending, um, you know what your income is, if you've got a reasonably reliable income, put your savings away first in an account that you can't touch. And that's just a simple way to, to force you in a way to dollar cost average into the market so just add regularly to your investing account and then put it to work straight away and so that's a very simple um, habit that you can get into and over time you begin to benefit from that in a, in a substantial way and you know you could even be as quirky as uh, so let's say you flip burgers at Macca's if you if you think about it one in every 10 burgers that you flip is actually for your for your future that's for you and so one tenth if you're saving 10 percent one tenth of everything that you do, is towards your financial future. And that's the way I kind of think about it. And, and Kate and I have been over a few different budgets and a few different strategies, but that's probably the simplest and most important one I think that any investor needs to get a handle on. It's just, you know, spend less than you make and invest the difference. And that's a that's a really good habit. Kate, do you have anything else to add? No, I think that's that's the biggest thing. And I, I think you told me the other day that these principles date back to the Babylon times and were written about in that um, The Richest Man in Babylon and I didn't even know about that book at all. So that was pretty surprising to me the other day. And I think also knowing where you're spending your money, I think so often now we've got Apple Pay and Tap um, PayWave, everything. So often we forget, we don't realise where we're spending, how many direct debits we've got coming out of our bank account. And I think just setting yourself up with a budgeting app or a spreadsheet and just looking at where you spent your money in the month and where that money was allocated, if it was food or um, shopping and or you spent it of going out for entertainment and things like that. And actually saying, are these the things that make me happy? Do I want to spend less on food and more with my friends? I think reallocating your money so you're not not just being cheap and not spending the money, but you're spending the money on the things that are important to you rather than just mindlessly spending. 
for sure. How about I'm interested to know with you guys has um, has going on this journey towards investing and what you look for in the companies or the stocks that you buy has it changed the way that you perceive the world in terms of the way you spend money? Uh, one thing that I, I can draw on is that when I began to invest for the first time and I was investing small amounts. Um, I almost became addicted to it. And then everything else that I did in the world, I would go out and I'd see businesses and I'd think, oh, I could buy shares in that company. I could buy shares in this company. And then it really just motivated me just to keep saving and keep saving and keep saving. Have you guys had similar experiences to that? Absolutely. I think Alec and I often discuss, especially back at the start of the show, I think one of the biggest benefits that we um, like about investing aside from obviously hopefully the financial benefits is the way that it makes you really challenge the world around you and makes you um, view things completely differently and um, you can go down so many rabbit holes and opens you up to um, so many different industries and um, you know getting an understanding of the an understanding of the economy and, and how everything is interlinked you know it's fascinating um, and by all means I think it's completely changed the way that I look at companies. Even today at lunch at work, I was saying to one of my mates, we're going through an agile transformation at the moment. I'm not sure if you guys are across agile, but essentially it's a, a way of um, working uh, in, in groups, project delivery. And one of the biggest, I guess, tools that they use is um, a visual management board, which is just essentially post-it notes with a whole bunch of to-do lists. And I was just saying that our office is packed with post-it notes, so it'd be a great time to be investing in um in whoever produces post-it notes because this is a bit of a revolution happening and the sales of post-it notes are going to be going through the roof (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah oh and i think to your point um it it is an addiction i i think i think alec and i even if we didn't have the podcast would be talking about companies investing sending each other articles i mean we've got a number of mates that are equally as obsessed uh in it as as we are and um, I think the challenge of also finding good companies and um, and then challenging the uh, the thinking of each other is is equally as addictive as well. Uh, what do you think, Ren? Yeah, for me, I think it's made me a more curious person just in my day to day life. I think you know, there's a, there's literally a company that does everything from selling post-it notes on one hand to selling fighter jets on the other hand, and everything in between, and the things that affect these companies are everything from the state of the economy to geopolitics to, you know, social and political trends and um, all, all of this stuff. And the more you get into it and the more you think about different companies and different industries and different stock markets, the more factors that you sort of realise have an influence. And honestly, I love it. Like, uh, as Bryce said, we would be doing this podcast or no podcast. Um, it's just a great way to learn about the world. You know, like recently uh, I went down this deep rabbit hole because uh, Donald Trump appointed a new defence secretary and he was a lobbyist at Raytheon. And then sort of three hours later I was deep into researching all the different big defence and aeronautical contractors in the US and in Europe and just thinking about like, you know, what's happening in North Korea and what's happening in Iran and how that affects the fortunes of these companies. And you can just you can just learn so much about the world and you think so much about things you wouldn't otherwise think about just by 
being interested as an investor. So, yeah, love it. Yeah, it's definitely an in sort of you don't realize it's happening until you're sort of a few years deep into your investing journey and suddenly you know what's happening, what the government's up to in Australia, overseas, you know about the different markets. You've suddenly learnt about this niche biotechnology industry that you didn't know about before and all this new innovation in Australian science and it sort of all happens and you don't realise you're learning it. But, I mean, it's good stuff to know. I think that's a really good point, Kate. A lot of our um, listeners when they first join the show and haven't started their investing journey are a bit, uh, scared or almost don't trust themselves that they know enough to start investing. And I think one of our key messages is it is that it's not until you're actually in it and start that you naturally just become curious. And as you said, two years down the track, all of a sudden you understand what impact interest rates has on the broader economy and how it's all linked. And um, I think, yeah, so I, the key message from our point of view is um, – I guess, don't freak out about not knowing much and, and you'll figure it out along the way. So, Alec and Bryce, um, before we wrap up, what's your number one takeaway for young people in Australia when it comes to their finances? Well, I, I guess number one would have to be subscribe to the Equity Mates Investment <laughs> Podcast. But <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll say, we'll say co-equal co number one. Um, <laughs> for, for me, it's... It's just get get started. Don't don't wait and think you don't know enough, or you know that there will be a better time. That the market may not be at the right point in its cycle. Um, that there is so much value in starting early. That just just throw yourself in, get started. You'll make some mistakes. You won't make a bigger mistake than I made with Slater and Gordon. So rest assured in that sense. But yeah, I think I think it is really just as simple as getting started. Yeah, and I I would echo that and and probably go a level um, down and just say that from an investing point of view, you also don't need to freak out about having thousands of dollars to start. You know, there are so many ways that you can access the market these days with uh, small amounts of money and just start that consistent process um, as early as you can. So yeah, that's some absolutely great advice, guys. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. And if anyone wants to listen to your show, they can just find it by searching Equity Mates in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'm assuming. Yeah, Equity Mates Investing Podcast or equitymates.com. Um, and then we're all over our normal social channels as well. So Yeah, you um, come up first on Google, so it'll be pretty easy. Nice. <laughs> we'll, put some, we'll put some links in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having us, guys. I think, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's really good. Yeah, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's uh, it's good that there's, you know, a lot of people trying to get more people into to think about their finance and to think about how they can set themselves up for the future. And um, hopefully we can uh, keep chatting as we both go on our, our podcasting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, guys. Likewise, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au 
and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.